Welcome to another episode of the Strictly Business Podcast, where we talk with some of the brightest minds working in media today. I'm Andrew Wallenstein with Variety. By day, my next guest is known as a respected veteran in Hollywood's legal circles, representing A-list clients like Matthew McConaughey and the creators of South Park. But Kevin Morris has also carved out a nice side gig of sorts in recent years as a critically acclaimed writer of fiction. And wouldn't you know it, his new novel, Gettysburg, offers a satirical take on a world he knows all too well, Hollywood. Thanks for coming in, Kevin. Looking forward to talking to you not just about the book, which is out now from Grove Atlantic, but how you see some of the bigger trends playing out in the real-life entertainment business. Uh, But as for this book, Gettysburg, I mean, it chronicles the life of a showbiz lawyer whose life takes an interesting turn when he attends a Civil War reenactment, and it's at turns comedic and at turns poignant. But it is about a showbiz lawyer, and you are that. So the obvious first question is, how much of this is you? How much is it based on you? Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, I get that question a lot and the first question a lot. Um, the answer is, the answer is, he's not me. He, he's not me. You know, they say, I love the old adage, write what you know. And, you know, so, of course, um, there's aspects of one's personality. I think any writer's uh, work that's, that's, that's based on themselves. But you also have all these other you know, tools that you use and their memory observation, you know, you, 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 to be a writer and to accomplish a novel, you have to, you have to try, try and use everything you have, you know? And so it's not as simple as, as your own story or being, uh, you know, your own character. It, it's, uh, it's a pastiche. It, it's a pastiche. And that's what these, uh, characters in, in in my book are. Um, Nevertheless, when you tell a, a Matthew McConaughey that you're working on a novel, do you got you have an obligation to keep your clients from being nervous or <laughs> Yeah, that doesn't that hasn't been a problem. My my clients have all been we've been together for a very long time and they know me and I actually think uh, none of my clients have been uh, surprised that I did this knowing me and everybody's been enormously uh, resourceful. And, you know, and so far they enjoy the books. <laughs> I mean, that said, there are characters in the book where you read it and you're like, OK, I think there's a real world analog here. Uh, there's a character that, for instance, I thought looked and sounded a lot like Norman Lear. Uh, was that intentional? Were you going for that kind of, you know, ripped from the headlines satire? Well, I've made the judgment that any that this book w- w- would need an anchor character that is sort of the keeper of the book. You know, uh, a, a person that has been inter- enormously successful as a storyteller, kind of has, has seen it all. Everybody comes to him for advice, um, and and you know, just just has a great depth of knowledge and perspective on on Hollywood and America, really. And look, if there's no better person to fit that bill in Norman, you know, uh, there, there's nobody like Norman Lear, and it's a tip of the cap to Norman, I guess, but no, it's a, but like all the other things, it's a, he's a pastiche and, um, you know, your novels are very technical and you, 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 you need characters to play certain roles and you need, um, um, arcs and you need complexity and you need, uh, many different things. And, uh, frankly, you just can't get that from, uh, a a nonfiction approach or, or something that is heavily based on truth. You know, I, I, I don't write, if I wanted to write a memoir 
uh, I'd write a memoir. You know, mm-hmm. um, uh, that's that's not this. I, I I decided to take on the challenge of fiction um, more because of the, frankly, because of the flexibility you get when you make stuff up. Sure. Yeah. Now, there's still a heavy dose of industry satire here. I actually want to read just a few sentences from the book that I think really capture the flavor of it. And this is, this is you're describing this main character who is not your alter ego, but I just want to read a little bit from this and where you're talking basically about Hollywood. And I quote, It was not just the horror of the bitchiness and the shallowness and the culture of lying, not just the baseless relationships and the shallow lies lived in pure, heedless, ambitious greed, Not just the disgusting sucking up to 38-year-old studio heads, but the relentless drive to starfuck every minute of every day and consider each incident of star interaction a notch on one scoreboard, keeping price records of the time you were close to Clooney at a dinner party, when you partied with Jen at the Miramax after party at the Hotel Ducap, when you got drunk with Johnny and Leo at secret poker games. (laughs) So... What what shall I divine from that about your attitude towards this business you call home? Well, you know, I listen, I've always been fascinated with there's a kind of character out there in Hollywood who, you know, hits midlife and they've maybe been an agent and then decided to be a producer because that's where it was at and then come back and be a manager, maybe stop as a studio executive, but you end up with with you know, there's just this kind of person out there that is kind of uh, road tired and, and and you know and kind of unfulfilled. It usually, in my experience, it usually has to do with some kind of creative unfulfillment. Mm-hmm. But that you know, I write you know like many writers, I write about alienation. I'm I'm I'm, I'm incredibly you know interested in that 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 major you know topic, but. Um, and Reynolds is just alienated, you know. And Reynolds is actually a nice guy. He's much probably a nicer guy than me. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, part of his complexity is he, he has this unfulfilled nature and he has stuff bubbling inside, you know. So, so characters need to have depth in different, in different sort of parts of their, of their persona. And here, this is just an illustration, and I have fun with writing this. There's an illustration of uh, Reynolds' inner life. Uh, and what's driving his his sadness? What's driving his frustration? What's driving uh, you know this thing that he can't put his thumb on? So I, you know Hollywood's been very good to me. I don't I don't, I don't share that stuff, but I, but it's it's fun to write it. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. And what I'm also curious about is for you as a writer, this is uh, your third uh, published piece of work. You. Uh, did a story collection, White Man's Problems, uh, another novel that was uh, set in, like, 1970s Philadelphia. And I was curious, why this now? Because you could have argued this would have been the first place you would have written, talking about Hollywood. Sure, and I was... I was y- Listen, my, my, I'm ambitious about this. My, I'm, I've, literature has filled my life since I was a young kid. And, um, and I, I take it as a great you know, privilege to be able to write fiction. And, and, um, at first I, I didn't want to touch Hollywood because, uh, um, it, it was too close or it would be perhaps pigeonholed into some other area. My first book was a book of short stories about nine guys in all nine different kinds of places of all ages, some first person, some third person, um, my first novel was, uh, you know, if, if anything, my first novel uh, borrowed more. I, I borrowed more from my 
personal life than in in this novel. Um, but they all require they all require different aspects. But I think I think writing the first one, uh, the first two, finally sort of freed me up maybe to come to the topic of Hollywood. My my publisher editor Morgan Entrican from Grove Atlantic, who's a legend and and a, and a wonderful guy and a wonderful uh, 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 champion of literature. He Morgan actually pushed me to do this. Hmm. Um, I had this idea, and, and Morgan really pushed me to do it. And I and I didn't want it, and I so appreciate that he uh, that he that he did that because I ended up having I was able to take on a lighter tone. I was able to type take on a, a, a my ambition to write funnier stuff. Um, and you know this this topic this landscape lent towards that approach way more than others do. My my, my first novel is, was is, is kind of dark maybe, but also just very two fisted. Um, and this one, you know, the right the right after being in Hollywood for twenty to twenty five years to thirty years, you know, absurdity is not an, an uh, like an unlikely place to come out. And sure. so so the more I do this. The more I'm interested in the absurdity of it. So this this setting, this kind of wacky, wacky tale, wacky road trip, uh, you know, lots of funny characters. Um, it, it just lent much more to to this kind of uh, fun tone that I that I that I tried to adopt. And I, I suspect that my next book will be will be different. Still, you know, will mm-hmm. be different. Still, I'm very interested in writing eclectic characters and different kinds of of, of stories want you to put your lawyer hat back on and be an observer here. As you're looking at the state of this business right now, where, you know, on the one hand, you've got the invasion of the streaming services coming into play. You've got, you know, the battle of the Writers Guild and agents. Uh, in all the years you've been working in the business, has it been more chaotic than this? I'm just curious where it ranks. Man, I don't think so. It's incredibly chaotic, and it, but but I think if I could get one thing across, it's that it's incredibly good. You know, it's just an, such an exciting time uh, to to be in entertainment. Uh, there's so many opportunities, so many different things going on. Uh, you know, the ability of digital technology or technology to deliver all kinds of stories in all kinds of ways at all at all the time is is fantastic and it's great stuff for artists in in film entertainment and music and whatever um uh so i i think no you know the advent of a lot of these things streaming and and so forth uh has has thrown the business models uh into into upheaval and in a lot of ways the business is still seeking the right business models and um, and that adds to the chaos as well. So it's it's one of the things of the book. It's it's confusing and, and like one of the things I was thinking about in writing the book is how everything is true at the same time, and that just le- adds to the comedy and the absurdity of this of the situation. But it's good. It's generally good, you know, uh, what's going on. The, the I mean, I'll, if I get right into it, the this you know the the amount of money spent on original content on original programming has probably because of the streamers uh has probably uh and 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 different interests that the studios and networks have in 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 expanding into cable programming um that you know the the spend what andrew the spend of of the spend on original content industry-wide is probably three times as much as it was five years ago um it's 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 phenomenal 
and uh, uh, you know these, and and I only think it's going to get uh, better from the you know perspective of the artist who, which I am and who I who I represent. Um, but the deal making, I assume, gets a lot more complex. I mean, you actually have done some pretty pioneering work for Matt Stone and Trey Parker, who created South Park, and you know what they were able to hold on to in terms of uh, digital rights. Um, I, I would imagine, though, that this complexity is just beginning to work itself out. Absolutely, and and there's uh, you know, and it's adversarial. There, there's you know, the studios are are and uh, streamers and anybody producing content or. Uh, you know, I hate saying content. Actually, my Matt Stone has a great uh, line where he says, uh, p- "People asked him about content and so forth, and he said, we don't make content; we make television.' You know, and, hmm. and uh, so I always stop myself when I'm using the word content. But uh, everybody's, you know, it's business; it's tough. Everybody's seeking uh, to improve their their standpoint. So. You know, as an entertainment lawyer, you're always kind of fighting Goliath. Um, the you know the studios and the production entities always have more power and more clout at the end of the day than um, the individual artists. And so, I just I've always looked at my job like a crusade to um, not just do the best individual deals, but to look for um, uh, additional ways to control and profit from uh, our, our work. You know. But is that dynamic that you just described more lopsided than ever in a world where these giant tech companies become the new buyers of content? Well, you know, it seems as it seems that way, and there still are an enormous, you know, multitudes of of people and artists that want to be in film entertainment, and therefore the leverage is down among the masses. But given the competition that's been created by the expansion, expansion of streaming and, and, and so forth, um, you still... I always believe that the revolution has to come from the top, meaning that at the top, we have an enormous amount of leverage because there's so much competition. You know, as I, as I said, the spend on original programming is probably three times as much as five years ago, but also you have probably 16 new streaming services coming out in the next 18 months. All the media companies are are improving their you know their offerings disney is this thing that disney's going to come out with will immediately be a level to level uh competitor with netflix you know and all that's going to do is spur competition and the need for high level you know star uh uh, programming is is only going to go up it's they need to have hits to to succeed that you know and that while that's always kind of been the case in this in this area, with such massive competition going on, it, it's got to. It's just. It's just gravity. It's got to. It's got to improve our stuff. I just think that uh, there's a responsibility of, of the of the artists at the top to go as hard as they can and, and as innovatively as they can. But you know, if the Netflixes or Amazons of the world come to your door and they want to make the next, you know, Matt Stone, Trey Parker program, for instance. Isn't it a very different kind of deal that they're looking to strike? Your back end gets capped. Um, so how do you tell your artists that you can protect them best as possible when, in fact, the upside is limited? Well, I mean, it's a good question. The, but the the our job is to you know our job is to to not allow the upside to be limited. And as I say, it's got to come from the top down because at the bottom you don't have the leverage to do those kinds of things. But at the top. You know, you do more more often than not 
And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a singularity of purpose, though, and not, uh, not expediency. Um, I, I've always, I think I've done well with artists because I've never been, because I'm one myself, and I've never uh, put the closing the deal ahead of a macro perspective on what we want to do. And, and, you know, I, obviously agents and lawyers make more money the more deals that close, but I, I've sort of taken a counterintuitive approach to that. And if something's not right, they just say, like, let's not do it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and with respect to the complexity, what I would say is that every deal is very different. And you, mm-hmm. got to, you have to have really good knowledge of the business models of all the players that you're dealing with. Sometimes, you know, sometimes a client is hungrier for something than, than, than something else. You know, Matthew McConaughey, Matthew's made the biggest deals ever. He's also, you know, he's also done Dallas Buyers Club for very little money, you know, and the different motivations at different times, you know. Matthew's really become much more, uh, well, he's, he's a great, great guy, great actor. Um, and he's also finding opportunities away from, say, TV or film. I mean, you know, Lincoln ads and that kind of thing. It just seems to me that there are more ways than ever for talent to make money, which is probably good for you. Absolutely. And, you know, we've had to en- enact a strategy to, to, you know, continue to make the nut, you know, to continue to make a certain level of money each year. And as we all know, movie star money and gross points have, have gone down drastically. So... You know, I think what what most smart artists, uh, actors have done is is pursue endorsements and and you know sort of make up for the loss of the big paydays uh, with uh, with with endorsement money and, and and other appearance money and that's just very you know actors used to not do that. There used to be a stigma attached when when I started. There was a stigma attached to doing any kind of promotional work. And happily, you know, for for Forever, I've wanted that to go away, and for us not to look at it that way, and instead look at it as 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 money, and and, and look at Matthew's work on Lincoln. It, it you can also have an incredible creative input on things. You know, if you look at this Lincoln commercials, there that's Matthew mm-hmm. um, bringing it and really creating something completely new and uh, and artful and 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 just really, uh, you know, that's. That's the stuff to do. That's the stuff to do to to not to run away from stigmas and and try to put an artistic spin on things. Sure. Um, I mentioned the agent writers war. What has it been like lawyering in this weird time uh, in this town in light of that war? It's hard. You know, it's hard. I, I start from the perspective of you know, it's hard. It's it's very confusing and it's confusing to. The, the clients, the artists, it's, it's, it's confusing to, the, to everybody, confusing to the public for sure. Um, I think that, well, what I would say is, you know, I'm a writer, I represent writers, I come from the writer's perspective, um, and, and, you know, whose side am I on? I'm on the writer's side. But uh, there, there are things that I think, it, it's very complex, the issue, the issue of packaging is very complex, but on the other hand, there's some very simple things that I think... I just hope are, are are not being lost. You know, I've probably done, with respect to packaging, for example, I've probably done 150 writing deals that involve packages, and you know, th- there's a fundamental bargain that's been made for a very long time, which is that uh, you know a writer gives up. Uh, sorry, a writer pays no commission up front. And the trade-off is that the agents get a position uh, in great success. Now, 
150 times I've done these deals, 150 times, I've re- it's always for the client to decide, but 150 times I've recommended taking no commission, letting them package it because, you know, it's trading, you know, it's trading not giving up 10% of your salary, of your paycheck, you know, of your workaday, you know, stuff. 10% is a lot of money. And, and not allowing it to happen or being against the package just simply is a trade-off to, you know, where on the other end you, you hope that you get some bigger chunk of a big pie on the back end. And it's just, it, the reality is it just doesn't happen that, you know, I, I know less than, there's probably been five shows out of that 150 that paid significant profits, you know, and, you know, there's all kinds of different levels that the agents get paid at, and it's not as monolithic as people think. And I, I, you know, it's just simple to me. It's like, why not pay no commission and, 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 you know, and deal with that, deal with the other stuff later. So, you know, that's, that's a frustration of mine. I don't know if that's getting out there enough. Um, Do you have a sense of how this is going to play out? No, but man, I hope, I hope that, uh, I hope cooler heads can prevail because like we were talking about, we're in this, uh, you know, platinum age of, Original content of uh, uh, spend and desire and 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 this appetite in the public. You know the public, the public is uh, watches. You probably know better than I. But po- what does the public watch? The, the number of hours that, that people consume television every day is just is still just up growing and up, yeah. up and up and up. And so we're in a great spot. We're in a, we're in a great spot in terms of those of us who make these widgets. And uh, boy, it's stupid to uh, throw any kind of sand in those wheels. In, in my opinion, in my opinion, we're doing great. And the only thing, is sort of like the only thing that could destroy us is us, you know. And sure. and and uh, you know. So I just hope, you know, like everyone, but I just really hope cooler heads prevail and we really get solution oriented here. I referenced the South Park guys earlier and sort of the the deal making that went on. It was pioneering. And I was curious could you, if you could explain because it's, their setup is not just typical like two guys in a production company. How did you structure what they've got uh, to sort of maximize their earnings and, and control? Well, obviously, the guys are brilliant um, and always have been and, and just really great guys. Um, um, that said a lot uh, about it. Everybody says that about everybody, but... With these guys, it's really true, and I've and I've lived it. But they've, they're also very shrewd businessmen, um, and so since the beginning, we've always looked for innovative and um, and sort of innovative and smart ways to uh, to sell their stuff and to make money. Um, as as we're not allergic to money, um, and and uh, then the other the thing. To add to that is that South Park, we knew very early on that South Park would work anywhere you put it. In other words, you know, very, South Park was one of the first television shows, as hard as this is to believe. Um, South Park was one of the very first television shows to be sold on video cassette. Um, the, the, the common wisdom in the, in the industry used to be, not that long ago, used to be that selling television shows ancillary in any way uh, was cannibalizing. It's just not true. The beauty of the show business, the beauty of... Uh, film and television is that they're really not self-cannibalizing businesses, um, which is a real, it's a great thing. And um, I always just embraced that that attitude and so have the guys. With respect to their, you know, so, so they've evolved and they've created these huge hits. There's a huge library of 
of South Park, which we control with our partners at Comedy Central, who are who have been fantastic, and and then the Book of Mormon is its own gigantic sure. monolithic thing. So um, what we what we've done with that is is we've we've combined all of our assets and treated it uh, in a way that's more like uh, Facebook, for example, than just uh, an entertainment having a service company and then sort of starting again at zero the next year. How do you mean? Well, in other words, in other words, uh, listen, the, the history of entertainment in the, in the last 30 years has a lot to do with how um, intangible assets have been valued. You know, 35 years ago, uh, back ends on television shows, you know, were just, if you got anything about, if, if you tried to value them in any way to get current income, uh, they were discounted heavily. People had to sell their back ends to get for divorces and stuff like that, and they'd huh. maybe get forty or sixty percent on the dollar, um, you know, like Shylock loans. And huh. and and but what, then the, the banking community, everybody got more and more, and the studios themselves got more and more comfortable with raising the levels of value that they all attributed to that. Bank loans started coming in at one hundred percent, things like that. And it's it's gone even further though, which, which I, you know I hope people appreciate, and I think sometimes we don't, even though it's so much out there. Which is, we've evolved to a place today where multiples will be paid, like in any other business. You know, a car company makes a million dollars a year; their car company is worth twelve million dollars, right? And and that's now happened with these intangible assets and and copyrights and so forth. So. Um, to take advantage of that and the way the Wall Street values it and the way that the, you know, society at large values it on a business level, um, you need to, you know, I've, we've made the judgment that you need to form the right kind of entity around your business that can take most advantage of those opportunities and, and drive, you know, drive your value uh, uh, instead of getting $2 million a year uh, from your from from your from your work, uh, incorporating that in a company where you get a ten to fifteen uh, x multiple of of that two million dollars. So you kind of make you can make two million dollars into uh, twenty five mm-hmm. um, if you do it right. And so, uh, for whatever reason, entertainers and uh, people in the movie business haven't haven't taken that taken that leap. And uh, we just we've just uh, seen that as a big opportunity for us. There's also a natural question here, which is, you're an artist, you're creating work in literary form, you have the ability, uh, the understanding of how to make TV shows and movies, any thought about taking your literary work and adapting it for the screen? Does that, is that a corruption of, of your creative, or what? Uh, yeah, maybe, I don't know, maybe, but I've, I took the attitude very at the beginning, very early on, it was never a thought of mine to do television or screenplays or, or anything like that. I've, I've been around, you know, the problems associated with putting big projects together. It demands collaboration and demands consent. You know, when the, the great frustration for artists in Hollywood is is that they need so much else consent to do to apply their craft, to do what they do normally. And it's, you know, it's incredibly frustrating and it's, it's, it's what, you know, gives rise to a lot of this turmoil. Um, I, you know, I, I, I don't think I can write screenplays. I don't think I can write teleplays. I always wanted to be a novelist. I want to write novels. Um, I, I, you know, I, I don't want to be just another entertainment guy that tried to start writing scripts. That's not me. I'm very serious um, about literature. It's incredibly important to me, and I want to, 
you know, I, I want to write novels. Do you have more in you? You know perhaps what novel you'll do next? Uh, I hope I have more in me. It's definitely my intention to just keep going. Um, you know, uh, John Optic uh, said this thing when they, and it has to do with some of the other questions. John Optic uh, w- wrote about whether or not people often asked him whether Rabbit Angstrom was him, was another version of him. And he said emphatically no, and that Rabbit was just a slot that he could drop through to observe American life. And that man, that's that's what I like. I see these characters as slots to drop through to observe, to observe and 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 say something about American life, to tell entertaining stories and so forth. And I and I and I, I've been able to do it, and I think I can do it more. And my my objective is just to get better and better and better and better, to the point where perhaps you'll leave the the legal profession behind. Has this ever become a full time gig? <laughs> Listen, I'm going to do what I enjoy, and uh, right now I think, and for the foreseeable future, I think I can do, uh, and I do other things. I produce a little bit. I, I uh, you know, on another ch- number of charities and stuff. I do a lot of different things, and I enjoy them all. Um, and I enjoy being a lawyer, and I, in my firm that that I started um, is very successful, and and I enjoy. Uh, Managing that, and uh, I'll I'll continue to to do all of those things. You know, what do I want to do when I'm 65, 75? I don't know, but well, I do know this: it'll involve writing. Well, we'll have to have you back in when the next novel comes out. Okay, thanks for coming in, Kevin. All right, thank you, Andrew. This has been another episode of Strictly Business. Tune in next week for another helping of scintillating conversation with media movers and shakers. And please make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear future episodes. Also, leave a review in Apple Podcasts. Let us know how we're doing. 